Welcome listeners to our podcast, Reign of Chains. Today's episode is Ethnic and Religious Minorities Matter, and I'm your host, Amy Farouk. Today, let's go ahead and delve deeper on the daily struggles faced by minority women living in Turkey because of their ethnicity and religious beliefs. Via personal experiences of the guests and their families, who are specifically Kurdish and Armenian. So let's go ahead and introduce them, Elvin and Alec. Elvin, who is Kurdish, and Alec, who is Armenian, both of which grew up in Istanbul. Thank you for joining us today, Elvin and Alec. Thank you for having us. We're honored to be here and discuss the systemic oppression and violence experienced by Kurdish, Armenian, and generally minority women in Turkey. So, can you go ahead and give us some context, Alvin? How would you, or actually, Alex, could you explain the unique challenges faced by Kurdish and minority women in Turkey for our listeners? Yeah, of course. Minority women in Turkey face multi-faced challenges stemming from systematic discrimination and marginalization. They often faced obstacles in accessing basic rights and receiving social services from the government due to a not-so-complex reason to figure out racism. Of course, cultural, linguistic and religious differences further compound these challenges, leading to an exclusion and limited opportunities for advancement. As you know, there are specific regions in Turkey in which Kurds are in the majority, such as Diyarbakir, Mardin and Antep. So earlier this year, a large region, including the cities that you mentioned before, were struck by a major earthquake and then, of course, aftershocks. How would you describe the various difficult hurdles that Kurdish and Armenian women face and are still overcoming? Yeah, to illustrate the matter at hand, it is worth noting that when a significant earthquake struck Turkey and Syria, that toll began to rise rapidly with casualties reaching double-digit numbers within hours of the incident. The affected region, renowned for its diversity and distinctiveness compared to the rest of the country, was it particularly hard. Hatay, with a population of 1.6 million, suffered the most severe consequences, and the survivors from this region personally experienced a desperate situation in their municipality once again. Also, Elvan has an experience that she might want to share. Thank you, Alec. Well, tragically, my mother's cousin, along with his nine-year-old daughter and wife, lost their lives mere moments after the second earthquake struck, as a collapsing column inflicted sudden trauma upon them. While we were fortunate enough to locate their bodies on the third day, some individuals have yet to find their loved ones. During the search process, my mother and I had to identify the bodies by means of a photograph shared through WhatsApp. I believe we were not the only ones forced to endure such distressing events. However, the survivors faced even greater hardships. That is truly heartbreaking to hear about the loss of lives and the challenging circumstances faced by those affected. My deepest condolences go out to you and your family, as well to all those who have suffered from this tragedy. Given the diverse nature of the region and the unique position of minority and Kurdish women within society, it is important for us to explore whether there were any specific obstacles or challenges they had to face in the aftermath of the earthquake. As the earthquake struck, were there any notable difficulties or hardships that minority or Kurdish women encountered, Elvin? Well, the Kurdish and Syrian people residing near the Hatay-Aleppo border, who predominantly spoke Kurdish or Arabic, were provided instructions in Turkish by their municipalities on where to seek shelter and what to do if they hadn't heard from their loved ones for more than 48 hours. Despite the clear understanding by the municipalities of the language barrier and the specific circumstances faced by the affected population, which included many women and children who had tragically lost their husband in the disasters, 
there was a lack of sensitivity and empathy in their approach. Instead of providing compassionate support, the instructions given were merely procedural, disregarding the pressing inquiries and urgent needs of those seeking assistance that could have been clarified by using the Kurdish dialect Kurmanji. Additionally, these women were burdened with the responsibility of caring for their shocked and traumatized children, who were still trying to comprehend the gravity of the events that had unfolded in the past 24 hours. It goes without saying there has been little to no mental health support. How do these challenges contribute to the disproportionate violence experienced by Kurdish and minority women from both state actors and within their own communities? Can you give us some information on that, Alec? Yeah, sure. One would expect that following such a major life-altering event, all members of society would set aside issues such as racism and animosity towards one another. But unfortunately, the situation in Hatay proved to be quite the opposite. This serves as a poignant example of the challenges faced by Kurds and various other minority groups in Turkey. Moreover, Kurdish and minority women are disproportionately subjected to violence, both at the hands of state actors and within their own communities. This violence manifests in various forms, including physical abuse, honor killings, forced marriages, and restrictions on personal freedoms. It's really sad to hear that even after a major event like an earthquake, divisions and prejudice continue to persist. This reflects the challenges faced by minority groups, including Kurdish women in Turkey. Systemic oppression and discriminatory practices contribute to disproportionate violence experienced by these women. In addition, I believe that societal attitudes, including the normalization of jokes about minorities, further perpetuate stereotypes, which we do see in all of our global communities. With this in mind, I'd like to ask, how can we address and challenge societal attitudes and stereotypes that contribute to the issues faced by Kurdish and minority women in Turkey? And also, what steps can be taken to foster understanding and promote equality for all? Elvin, could you please answer that for us? Yeah, systemic oppression perpetuates the challenges faced by Kurdish and minority women in Turkey. Discriminatory laws, policies, and practices marginalize these women, restricting their access to equal opportunities and perpetuating social inequalities. Can you give our listeners some insight in your personal antidotes that Kurdish women face in Turkey? Sure. From my experience as a daughter of my mother, Sidar, who lived in Diyarbakir for 17 years, while it's already hard for one to maintain their life after moving to a non-Kurdish city, they face bullying because of their ethnicity. Ironically, life is even harder in their hometown due to the level of oppression resulting from both the societal norms and being groomed at an early age to pull away from or hide their identity in order to spare themselves ill treatment from school teachers and peers. From an early age, Kurdish children learn how to minimize their risks to live as Kurds in Turkey. They live their lives as Kurds in their homes, and when they leave their homes, they act as if that side of their life no longer exists. So what forms do microaggressions appear across Turkish society? For further unraveling of the basic forms of racism faced by minorities in general, I would like to talk about the joke culture that minorities experience. While the jokes are not harmful to anyone and do not affect minorities or their well-being, it represents how society detects the differences and how they were once viewed. These inside jokes are mainly just made of calling someone of a different ethnicity, Armenian, Kurdish, or even Syrian, because of their physical appearance or specific characteristics, such as Kurdish people having colored eyes and thick eyebrows, Armenians having dark hair, or Syrians giving birth to more than five children. The issue here is that no one will benefit or nor get upset if you call them Syrian because they have six siblings. The bizarre aspect of this is that this sentence should have not have a comedic value. 
These jokes are the byproduct of ongoing basic racism that was once considered to be one of the reasons an ethnic group or a person should be outed. Even though no particular harm is made, the problem is rooted in discrimination and is originated and created to purposely hurt someone by making fun of them. Microaggressions usually occur in everyday social settings such as high school classrooms where teens are reckless and they think they are entertaining their classmates by joking or in cafes where uneducated people think they are actually getting somewhere through such behavior. It's um, evident that systemic factors play a significant role in the challenges faced by Kurds and minority women, whether they're Armenian or even Syrian refugees. However, do you believe that violence manifests against these women behind closed doors as well? Unfortunately, globally, women face challenges. And I want to state that femicide is not exclusive to Kurds or Muslim societies. They happen worldwide. However, Turkish women face honor killings, which are culturally motivated and linked to shame because of communal collectivism. The causes range from wanting to divorce, refusing a marriage proposal, and being accused of dating. Victims of honor killings are typically estranged, stabbed, set on fire, poisoned, and even sometimes put in situations that look like stage suicides. Recently, I read a poignant quote that sums up my feelings on the topic of honor killings in Kurdish. Ziyar Jalal, the director of social care at the Minister of Labor and Social Affairs in Kurdistan, northern Iraq, states, We women first came into the world as human beings, but then society and its traditions produced gender discrimination and created a world of injustice and threats. They put social bonds on women's necks, which in reality not only deprived women of their rights and freedoms, but plagued all levels of society at the social, economic, administrative, political and cultural levels. It stagnates our society, which is part of the Eastern societies that are largely influenced by this gender discrimination. This is the bitter truth. What are some initiatives or movements that are emerging to address these challenges and advocate for the rights of Kurdish and minority women in Turkey? Like, are there any steps being taken in order to ensure that they're safe or they have access to resources should they face violence? Yeah, despite all of these challenges, there are remarkable initiatives and movements working to empower minority women in Turkey. Women's rights organizations, both within these communities and in the broader society, have been at the forefront of advocacy efforts. They provide support services, promote awareness, and push for legal reforms to protect women's rights. Furthermore, grassroots movements, social media campaigns, and cultural initiatives aim to challenge stereotypes, promote diversity, and foster inclusivity. These efforts play a crucial role in amplifying the voices of Kurdish and minority women, promoting their rights and demanding justice. Of course, many of these groups can identify themselves by identity, but there is an organization in London and works in Turkey by the name of Image Women's Center and stands to combat all forms of violence against women and girls. They support and empower Turkish, Kurdish and Cypriot Turkish women and minority ethnic and refugees to improve the quality of their lives. Established in 1982, Image Women's Center is a women-only space. Actually, Alex, since you are part of the Armenian community in Turkey, do you have any insights you'd like to share with our listeners today in some of the experiences or instances that Armenian women face? Well, yeah, of course. My mother used to work in the eastern side of Turkey a few years ago. She sometimes had to visit that area to meet with customers. However, she encountered a problem there. Since our last name ends with Yan, which is a common suffix in Armenians, the company she worked in thought that it wouldn't be safe and made my mother use her maiden name that didn't have Yan in it. This was clearly a form of discrimination since Armenians have a heavy presence in the eastern province. Likewise, since she was a woman, they easily imposed this on my mother as well. If it was a man, it wouldn't, it would not have happened to her. This is just a small example of microaggressions that minorities face in Turkey. 
Speaking of minorities in Turkey and women, we must speak about the Syrian refugee women who have unique circumstances and many times are less spoken about. One particular story that was well circulated was about Jima, a Syrian woman whose name was changed for security reasons. She was living in Syria with her family. Then one day, a bomb dropped on their house, killing her husband and three brothers. After this unexpected tragedy, Rima, mother of three, left her hometown for Turkey. In November 2013, she started a new life with her kids in a refugee camp in the Turkish border town of Şanlıurfa, one of the oldest Syrian refugee camps in Turkey. This was the beginning of new traumas. She accompanied her brother's pregnant wife to the state hospital in Viranşehir, a district of Urfa. There, she was raped by a security guard and an interpreter. The attackers blackmailed her with videos and photographs. Rima was terrified, so she kept silent. In the following days, the rape went on and the number of attackers raised seven. As a result of gang rape, Rima was hospitalized for losing significant amounts of blood and taken to the intensive care units. Luckily, she recovered. Now there is an ongoing investigation by Viran Şehir's public prosecutor's office. Rima was brave enough to go to the Turkish police later, but not every Syrian refugee woman is. Yes, sadly, I am sure there are hundreds of stories like Rima's that fall through the cracks. I recently read from a report, June 2018, named Needs Assessment of Syrian Women and Girls Under Temporary Protection Status in Turkey. This was, of course, authored by the United Nations Women in Turkey, and it emphasized that Syrian refugee women are poorly informed about their rights to protection and legal support services available to them. The same report also showed that 73% of Syrian women are unaware of where to even seek assistance related to violence or harassment. So according to the statistics, official ones that range back to 2018, more than 3.6 million registered Syrian refugees are living in Turkey. And I think it's important for listeners to know that registered just means that they are legally here. Of course, there's many others that are in Turkey and they are not having legal paperwork. So obviously that rates increases the rate of Syrians within Turkey. 45.7% of them are female, and half of this female population is under the age of 18. Refugee girls and women are more vulnerable to exploitation, are subject to all forms of violence in their daily lives. On the other hand, services for Syrian refugees and women are largely gender blind, leaving many problems unsolved. Yeah, and also it is widely known that women who are living in poverty are subjected to child and polygamous marriages, and these are major challenges for Syrian refugee girls and women. Yes, you are right. Also, ironically, even though polygamous marriages are actually outlawed in Turkey, unlike in Syria, these are not only present amongst the Syrian community in Turkey, it is not a secret. We all know that Turkish men in rural areas are also illegally marrying Syrian women as their second and maybe even third wives, leaving them more vulnerable because they aren't protected under Turkish law. There are even websites promoting Syrian women for Turkish men that I stumbled upon. One of the websites actually was called Syrian Women, features several sexist stereotypes such as what Syrian women want. One of the sections on the so-called marriage website I read was really, really sexist and degrading. So please listen to the following statements. There are many Syrian refugees in Turkey. In every city, you can bump into a Syrian. 
Syrian women are fragile, just like our women. Since Syrian women do not set a condition for legal marriage, you can live with them without marrying them. Basically, this website was out to exploit and traffic Syrian women by stating that they need little to care for them. You know, like you can just give them something and it's enough for them to accept. Also, on a final note, due to the economic crisis, we are now seeing Syrian women forced into prostitution because many times they're leaving domestic violence situations and they aren't able to work, possibly due to legal conditions. And these cases are actually really, really tragic. Yeah, I know that the government of Turkey does not fully meet the minimum standards for the elimination of trafficking, but it is making significant efforts to do so. The government demonstrated overall increasing efforts compared with the previous reporting period. Considering the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, if any, on its anti-trafficking capacity. Therefore, Turkey remained on tier two, as there is no simple solution and the government must work with the courts to hold others accountable and keep NGOs updated. Thank you for clarifying that, Alec. It's important to give the Turkish government credit because they are making efforts to reduce and eliminate trafficking. And of course, as technology increases, these new systems become more viable to protect underrepresented and marginalized and vulnerable communities within Turkey and surrounding areas. So thank you, Elvin and Alec, so much for coming here to speak on Reign of Chains and speaking on behalf of minority women in Turkey. While Turkish women have come a long way, we must continue to uplift them and amplify their voices. I believe that many outside of Turkey see citizens as a monolith. However, the country is, of course, extremely diverse and holds different cultures and religions. And that comes with its own specific set of challenges that must be addressed and handled with utmost care. Also, listeners, for more information on global Armenian issues, please follow Alex's work in English at the Armenian Weekly, www.armenianweekly.com. Alec actually just recently was published and wrote an article about a marginalized community in Hatay and how they've been struggling the post-earthquake situation. Yeah, we couldn't agree more with you, Amy. Thank you so much for having us. And if any of the listeners are interested in getting more details on being an Armenian minority, please check my articles in Armenian Weekly. And thank you too, Elvin, for coming. Yeah, thank you for having us, Amy. We hope to next come and speak about the possible solutions and continue this conversation. Thanks, guys, so much. Bye.